You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Innovation is risky. Hiring someone is a risk. Developing someone is a risk. It is also a risk to start a business. It was not risk-free when Spotify started, for example. So we need to learn how to make our bets and how to bet on people so that they can grow and flourish. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated, or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. One of the themes of this podcast and of my book is that the smartest, hardest working people don't always get ahead. Maybe that's because many of them do not have access to support or guidance that is needed at critical points on their journey. Today, we're going to talk to Walla Lubani, who struggled early, found her footing, worked for some great and not so great companies. She is the co-founder and CEO of Cochendo, a service that seeks to dramatically democratize coaching. Their audacious goal, help people get support, particularly if they are early and mid-career or work remote, to better navigate and accelerate their careers and lives. Walla grew up as an immigrant to a single parent in Sweden. She went from being different, something we're going to talk about, to getting rejected many, many times from jobs, to eventually stepping into her power when she landed at Marin Software, Google, and now founding Cochendo. She recently received an invitation to meet the Prince of Sweden and investors that manage some of the largest funds in the Nordic countries, her startup being named one of the most promising businesses in Sweden. She described that moment as marking a culmination of working hard to finding her path. Walla's story sparks hope in many of us, but also offers pause. For every Walla, there's many who fall off that path if they even see it. The focus of our conversation and why I've invited her is to understand key moments in her journey, what made her hard work and smarts come to fruition, and now how she's taking that idea to help others through Cochendo. Walla, welcome to 97% Effective. 
Thank you so much, Michael. I'm privileged to be here and I'm very thankful to have had you as a coach throughout my Stanford education and after that to building it up. It is a huge pleasure to have you on because your journey has really accelerated post-Google and here at Coachendo. You grew up in what you described a very middle-class background. Immigrant, raised by a single parent, three siblings, not much access to privileged networks. And you were told, many of us can relate to this, by teachers and peers, particularly when you were younger, that you were different, which is not always that easy to hear or embrace, particularly in your, your younger years. So we know this story turns out really well, but what was the impact of some of that early on? I believe that we all go through this cycle of understanding who we are and how we relate to our environment. Having experienced that at a very early age in that intense form, I was exposed and put myself into a situation uh, where I asked questions that are existential. Already at the age of 12, I was asking myself who I was and how and applied my kind of thinking to science. And today I see people in their mid-career, in their mid-30s and upwards, asking themselves those kind of questions too. What, what I want to say is that I learned that very, very early, that difference is actually uh, not about how you look or what culture you have genetically, but how we think. And if we think about what difference really means is that you look at the household, you have siblings from the same household growing up with the same parents. They are different to each other. So how could we ever assume that everyone's the same? The reason I think that we see people as different is because they're not like us. And it's only the moment that we understand how to bridge between the, how we see us and how other people are. It's when we unfold potential. And I find that we are at our strongest when we let those differences come through. So now if you look at society and brands coming on, you know, coming up with selling on their being different, that's super cool. But the, tr the trouble and the problem here is that we go against difference from early age and we continue doing that through our careers and work. And I think we're going to go deeper into that. But I just want to kind of highlight that diversity is key to creativity and innovation. And that is exactly what we need right now. And you've certainly worked for some of the world's most innovative companies um, and, and institutions, right? Your time also at Stanford. On that point, if we fast forward really quickly to Cochendo today, because there's a deep part of, of, of your past that you're, you're bringing into what you're trying to do there. Had Cochendo existed when you were younger, how would it have helped in that process? And maybe you have to give a little context of what Cochendo does. I know we dove right into it. How would it have helped you when you were younger? Well, wow, that's a very difficult question. Let me just quickly, like you said, mention what Cochendo does. Uh, we democratize coaching. We make it possible for people to pick up their phone and start having a conversation with an AI-driven conversational coach that is built with the same principles that human coaches use. Uh, it's micro-sessions, so it's fast, and you can, you can have that conversation the moment you need it. It's to make it accessible and more modern to the way that we live today. I think if we imagine the time that I was in, if Coachendo was available, uh, it would have impacted me in the way that it's the environment around it that would have changed. 
uh, if you imagine that Cochenda had grown to helping teachers in schools on how to unlock and work with differences in talent, I think we would have changed generations. I mean, how many children talk about how their dreams were capped or how they were told they can't achieve? I don't know if you've seen the amount of people who talk about how when they excelled in mathematics, they ended up helping teachers to teach other children instead of developing themselves forward. We, if we live in a world where we are good at growing people and talent, if we live in a world where we empower differences, where we are at peace with ourselves, then we live in a world where we can change, we can change and we can bring innovation forward and help each other. We have so many challenges coming up for us as a society. Look at climate change, world hunger, and all of these massive challenges that we are facing together. The belief that it would be possible to have people around who can sponsor difference and who can support talent and grow and challenge people, that belief is amazing to think about. And I think that's exactly why companies are struggling today. We want to find those talented people to drive the business forward, but we also need to kind of give them the space to grow in the right way. So Cochendo, in a way, is creating that space by giving people additional resources, kind of opening up their environment to, in this case, is not a person, but it's an AI-driven conversation, stimulating them to think kind of more broadly about their situation, about what things that they can do, not only for individuals, but it sounds like you said teachers too could be using that. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the key things I can add here is that communication is so important. If you are a person that has a different set of um, you know, ideas that you want to bring to the table, being able to express those ideas in a way that the other people would understand and making the, other, the listener more receptive to that message would definitely bring more conversations that bring about a change that we are looking to see. Yeah. So, so many of the listeners are out in Silicon Valley and across the world. Um, but just a real practical question, is this, does it depend on what, is it only accepting English or can people speak in any language uh, in the interface? At the moment, we're English-driven, English first. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think like we can look into that. We've had asks about languages, but at the moment, it's only English. Okay, because I know you speak six languages, <laughs> so this is probably going to move more, more globally, but for right now, English. If we fast forward kind of beyond your upbringing, so there was that difference, um, challenges, you went on still to get three degrees, physics, economics, organizational behavior, and you experienced, as I said in the introduction, lots of uh, rejection from some early companies you applied to. And you wrote in this Medium piece, and I want to ask you about this one uh, statement you said. It was around that period where you were getting rejected a lot. I was excited and thought the world was wide open for me. That was not the case. What, what did you mean by that? I... When I finished my education and I had all these degrees, these languages, and I had work experience that could show that I have the discipline that you can bet on me as an employer, I was not expecting that it would be that hard. Instead, I was like, I was full of hope and energy. And throughout my education, I really wanted to apply what I learned. I just wanted a chance. But it was difficult 
to get a job. Instead, like all of those different applications that I sent turned out to being sent around in the different organizational departments. And then I was receiving even more rejections that I had applied for. I asked a, um, a recruitment agency to review my CV. And she said it was a great fit for the roles that I was, I was applying for. And I just want to remind you here, I was not applying for high-level roles. I was applying for entry level where you would mm. learn those hard skills because after graduation, much of it is about doing the dog years as they're called. So basically learning how to apply what you learned. Uh, but I was getting too many rejections to actually understand what was going on. So I started to doubt myself. Was I... Was I wrong because I didn't blend in? What is it that I needed to do to blend in, to fit in, to get through that filter? Yeah, and you mentioned in that same paragraph, you said, I felt there was a universal truth that I only wasn't aware of. Um, was, was there a reference into this as you kind of look back? Yes, I mean, what, what I meant with that is that I didn't understand why everyone else around me was getting a job and I was not even invited to interviews, despite the fact that everyone was saying that my interview or my CV was a fit. So what was this filter that kept blocking me? And I want to I wanna tell you that today I know, and I want to tell you what I know today. And I'll use an example of that. There is a pianist, a worldly famous pianist called Gabriela Montero, and she's uh, played in front of, like, uh, during Obama's inauguration. She's played for royalties and for famous people all around the world and costs a fortune to listen to her music, which is art. She uh, went to a train station in Dublin and played in that station, and people just passed by her they didn't even look at her. They didn't listen to her music. Had they known who she was, I bet you there'd been a queue around her and there would be many selfies taken and people would have enjoyed her music. So why were they not enjoying it without like the proper branding of her? And I think what I want to highlight here is that innovation is risky. Hiring someone is a risk. Developing someone is a risk. It is also a risk to start a business. It was not risk-free when Spotify started, for example. So we need to learn how to make our bets and how to bet on people so that they can grow and flourish. Fascinating. And so this same question, had Cochendo exist back then? I mean, Cochendo is not a recruiting tool, uh, although I suppose seeing the brain trust you guys have there, it could easily be you know helping to identify those things. But how would Cochendo have helped Walla, who was not being identified, not being seen, not being seen as the risk a company should take? How would it have helped you or helped them? Yeah, had Cochendo been there, uh, I think it would have been empowered me. Empowered me in the sense of how do I build uh, networks? How do I build relationships? How do I make sure to get past the filter in other ways? At the same time, if the company and the talent uh, kind of development team or the recruiters would have had this tool, they would have been able to look beyond like the CV. They would have been able to look beyond copy-paste, pass CV. You know, do, do you do exactly what the other person did? And I think this is what coaching is all about, is trying to find new ways in an innovative form. So that, yes, I think it would have changed my career. Yeah, very much so. So this comment that you've made about how it could help, for example, someone navigate these soft skills around networking, landing at a job, 
I'm sure every, a lot of people in the audience ears perked up when they heard that. If you're calling into this virtual coach around networking, the virtual coach must draw from some database or knowledge around networking to know what to ask you or to suggest. In a nutshell, how does that work? I know I'm speaking to an ex-Googler, but can you share like, does a machine just know what networking is or does it have to draw from some knowledge base? I think that's a great question. So I'll, I'll tell you how we do it. So we look at those principles of success. I think of Carnegie's principles, for example, what we learned with Professor Jeffrey Pfeffers about, you know, building power. We look at those principles and then we automate the learning of them in the form of making them coaching led. Mm. Uh, so you can apply them to your life so you can reflect and have uh, kind of uh, a conversation that unlocks how you relate to that certain soft skill. And then in that process, what we also learned and understood with all of our testing is that people are also looking for suggestions. So say that I discovered that I need to become better at networking and I discovered that this is my weakness. Now, what can I do? This is where we look at the best practices and the most you know, uh, backed by science, the best ways to do that. And then we refer that in so that you get the knowledge of yourself, but also how to navigate that moving ahead. I want to continue with your, your journey um, you struggled, as you said, finding a lot of entry-level jobs despite, you know, su superior grades, hard work, um, multilingual. And, and then you come to this point where you've got a student loan bill coming up and about 19,000 euros in hand, which it sounds like your mother pulled together and no job, but sent you over uh, to the UK. A and you literally went over with a suitcase. Um, and that money, and then things took off. Google, high performer, highest performer in the Nordic region, APSIS, at the same time, you know, you're doing work at Stanford Executive Education. Then you wrote, because then you're in these corporate environments, getting a job is one thing, surviving in companies is a different journey. And you alluded to seeing others get promoted, politics capping certain people from getting, reaching their true potential, and even mentioning it felt like a pointless game. Can you share a little bit just here on your personal experience, how you managed some of those things? You're particularly referencing politics here, but that, that game of politics in the company, um, how did that affect you? How did you manage it? Thank you for the question. I just want to say one thing that I was owing uh, for 19000 for the student loan that had to be paid within one year while I was getting rejected. And it was, um, it, it was a very disfavorable situation indeed. When it comes to kind of when you move in and you are in the company, I saw many people who were really good, enormous talent, great at bringing new innovative ideas that things over for the business or that sold very well, that built fantastic relationship to customers and did great customer uh, support. But they were not the ones to go out golfing with a manager or they were not the ones that could stay on the after work events or maybe some of them did not uh, you know like the type of, of exercise that was given as, as a team exercise and that played against their favor. 
and that's uh, you know they're, they're doing the great job but they're not visible in the right places so you can look at it like these are the people that leave companies they resign very quickly and these are the people that companies pay so much to find and hire some of them are also introverts to give you some examples so if you have a, you're an introverted person but to be successful you have to play the game of visibility that's really not your core skill set and that's where you kind of need more space and more support so some of the great achievers we know they 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 do great work but that's not enough i want to tell you also michael i've seen this i've seen this so clearly you have super talented people and they show that they are able to do a huge amount of work and what ends up happening is that they get more and more work on their desk and it becomes that they don't have the time for those mingling events because they're doing the report Friday, Saturday night, and the others have time. You know, I, I, I know I had like one week, like 40 client meetings in that week. I could not be available for those instances. And that's, that's very wrong. And that's not how you build and nurture talent. That's how you take it out of your company. And that's why you can see the great resignation. People leaving companies because, hey, you know what? I can do the job now. Give me space to learn and develop myself and don't just hand me more and more work that is very replicable to what I've done before. Challenge me. And that's what self-development is all about. And that, that's the biggest reason why people leave companies. It's for their personal development. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Now, now, you eventually left and you started Coshendo. We're going to talk about that in a minute. How did you personally manage some of these things or saw people overcome what was clearly not a, a fair system? I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's a pattern in many organizations. And uh, to me, I have always been a high achiever. Um, I did great in terms of like the results I would deliver, but I didn't have those soft skills. And I'm very direct in my communications. I'll give you an example. I said once to a manager that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to play this visibility game with you. Uh, you want results. I bring the results and it ends right here. That's probably not the best thing to say. Uh, if I go back, that's not something I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I think like I learned that it's a lot about, uh, you know, when you want to achieve as well, you get to a point where it's not just you, you have to achieve through others. And that's what also leadership is about. Like you start leading yourself and then you start leading others. And if you want to achieve through others, then you have to become much better at influencing people, at having them on your side, at building your arguments in a structure that makes sense to them. And that's where you start deep diving into yourself. And that's why you can see many talented people going out to Harvard Business Review, reading about like, how do I do this? How do I make sure that people understand me? How do I get people to my side to understand what I'm actually saying here? So I think that was something that I started to master in craft. And that eventually led to many changes in the way that I was capable of building those strong relationships that I have today. Yeah, you did a lot of excellent work in, in that regard. And again, this is where, had Cochendo been around, you could have tapped into that virtual coach slash database to get you thinking about how to deal with a difficult manager, thinking about influencing through others, even people you don't particularly like, but you have to in organizations. Yes, I mean, faster navigation of that, but there's also one other aspect, which is basically non-navigation like, or ventilation. Mm. Uh, people need to vent, 
And that's one of the things that I also came to find, that there are so many people that I talk to who have, it, it stays with them. You come home and you're still carrying that work in your head. So you cannot disconnect. And that impacts like your work-life balance and your well-being and the burnout at, at the end of it. So having that kind of, you know, understanding yourself and how uh, to stop and when to start and what it means, that's also something that Cochendo would have given me. Let's talk about Cochendo and the years that you embarked on the startup. You could have stayed in these great companies. Uh, clearly, there is another path, which is to go and do things on your own, the path of entrepreneurship. Can you walk us through just briefly why and how you launched Koshendo? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I am blessed to have had these experiences with all of the employees that I've had. And we are four co-founders. Everyone has their whys and their journey. And I'll tell you from my perspective. So when I was at the height of my career, getting all of these rewards and breaking all those records, that's also the time that I was hospitalized because I got sick and uh, had, I was pregnant at the same time and had two tumors. They were not cancerous, but I was still in, in danger for my health and for my baby's health. And being in that hospital, spending three weeks where you cannot move, where you cannot do anything, and heavy medication, I had one morning where my nurse helped me to get to that window of that hospital. I saw two people standing in the sun. It was August, fantastic day, and they were having coffee. The one thing I thought I would never be able to do, have coffee in the sunshine. And I thought, do they know how lucky they are? Are they appreciating this moment? And when I looked at them intensely, I noticed that they were not happy faces. Maybe they were talking about a manager or a situation or promotion or, you know, a, a child that didn't sleep. And I was just thinking in my head, it became so clear that we're wasting our lives. It became like an image where we walk every day with a bubble around our heads. We're not seeing things awake. We're not living it. And I was in that bubble. I'll tell you that. Now I know that someone somewhere is looking at us, is looking at you, is looking at me and thinking, oh, I wish I had their chance. And there are so many talented people and people who want to build themselves and careers and want to have that balance that are in this bubble. And it's nothing wrong about that. It's just that when you break it, you become strong. And that's when, it fast forward a couple of years, I came in touch with coaching and you coached me, Michael. And it impacted me. And then I had the chance to coach one of my team members. And when I saw how he transitioned, how his face changed, I thought, this is it. This is what everyone should have access to. So we started by pen and paper, just like testing on paper. And from that, we developed a kind of a very scrappy solution, something very basic, didn't look pretty at all, uh, and put that uh, kind of uh, app in the hands of only 10 people. And when we got the feedback from them uh, that it was you know, good for them, we moved to testing with 240, and then we moved and became a company uh, that we are today. I started this podcast talking about how you, you wrote about mingling with royalty and the top investors in, in the Nordic region. Thinking about kind of what got you to that point, because there were multiple steps here. And, um, Anything else you want to point out that really took you <laughs> from where you just left off to suddenly there with royalty because you're named one of the top potential companies in, in the Nordic regions? Yes, I, I want to say that uh, one thing we came to find out is that 
the uh, phone we use today, that the way we spend it with scrolling is actually the same tool we can use to grow ourselves. And what we found out is that there's a huge interest in this. So we started getting people referring other people. So suddenly from having tested with 240 people, people started getting onto our waiting list and asking for more. And from that, there was, a, you can call it like a movement of people who wanted to have this solution as quickly as possible. So we started getting asked about, can you please be quick and release this at speed? And that in cell itself made it, it gave me so much energy that I took the stages and I started talking about Coachendo on stages. When I did that, it became evident that I was standing in front of investors as well. And in this, um, experience, we also decided to join Antler and Hedge. And that's where you learn how investors think in the head of an investor and all of that. And that helped us understand their language. Uh, so that kind of flipped things over. And suddenly we had so many term sheets, which basically are offers from investors. Uh, one of them was Icebreaker. And they were fascinating because they came in very fast. And it goes back to my point about taking risks. They uh, looked at what we had done what we found out and how we brought this to market and what our plans were and really disregarded that we were from Google, all of us, because at some point, like we worked at Google, we are not Google. So we are building something from scratch. They looked at what are we doing? What are people saying? Is this demand there? And they said, hey, we're going to take this risk. And I think they, uh, this was a risk that uh, helped us as well. So we are fortunate to have Icebreaker and Antler supporting us all the way. Some listeners may say, well, okay, you're 4X Googlers. Of course, they're going to give you money, right? You guys walk on water. Um, and, and clearly that helped. Um, but is there anything else you'd point out here to folks who are not, you know, Google, all right? They're still in high school listening to this um, as to what kind of things, you know, they need to do to get to a point where they're raising funds from the top investors. Yeah. And that's a great question. And I want to highlight this again, like just because we worked at Google does not make us Google. Google is an entity and we work there. But at the same time, I understand what you're ask, asking about here. I think like the key to exactly everything is to build something you're passionate about and to ask people about it, because if people like it, everyone will like it. Investors will come because you have people who want to have this solution because people are willing to pay for it because you're building something that has a use. And that is what drives investment. It's not that you come from a super grad or that you have that kind of brand behind you. That's just an addition and it can help through certain filters. And I bet you this was great for me because also like a female immigrant, like in the space where you don't get those kind of um, empowerments. But if you're really passionate about something and you talk to people about it and you build something you believe in and you learn to listen to users and build something they want, then there is no limitation because that's what investors are actually looking for as well. A lot of your backgrounds are in sales early on. Inside sales, at Google you did sales. Not always the most loved or revered position out there. Everyone looks at marketing and strategy. Um, was there anything that you want to just call out from sales that was useful to what you do now? Anything you want to call out? Yes, absolutely. And I'll try to make it short and concise as well. So sales, I think sales is underestimated skill. Everyone sells every day. If you think about it, like you communicate your ideas, you sell your thoughts and you sell a product and you sell, you know, a service. So it is everywhere. Everyone does it every day. But the basic 
principle that I think is highlighted in the role that is sales-related is the importance of understanding what the other person is communicating and not only what they say, but the message they want to deliver. So that's why I think like the best salespeople are people who are great at active listening. They can collaborate better. They manage stakeholders much better. And what they can, and if they're really, really great, then they can even go as deep as understand thinking patterns of the person that they're talking to. That is something everyone should learn how to do. And I think that is an underestimated and underused skill that everyone should think about. Very well summarized. I think it's tremendously under-examined field. Also, I wanted this other segue. Um, you've got tremendous energy that's coming through now. You've got kids. <laughs> You're running a startup. Um, you seem to be managing it fairly well. Um, but any questions or advice to other entrepreneurs, right, who are hitting their stride um, during their years as parents? Uh, yeah, and I, this is a very difficult question because uh, it's very different from person to person. But when I think about it, I think of like three things. One is uh, if you want to manage that with uh, having children, uh, first thing is you need to know who you are as a founder. Uh, how do you handle pressure? What are you willing to lose uh, or set aside? And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about you. And then it's the other part, which is basically you have a partner or if you don't have a partner, like if you have a partner, then how supportive is this person? I am lucky to have a partner who's with me on this. He knows how passionate I am about it. And he became part of this passion and drive as well. Then the third aspect and the most important one is the age of the children and your children's basic needs. That dictates exactly everything. Then I, I want to add that Children are the best teachers in the world, and you can see that in my article as well. I mean, if you understand children, if they understand you, if you convince them, if they convince you, that's like all the skills that you need in the world. And many things that can take the backseat if you start a business, many, many things, like all these dinners and the socials and all of that, all the travels and the luxurious life. But when it comes to children, that should never be uh, the group that takes the hit, especially if they're very, very young. And I want to just add one thing is that I see that um, research points that 60% of parents feel guilty because they spend too little time with their children. Well, reality is it's about the quality of time that you spend with your kids. And that goes back to that mental support and mental disconnection from work. That's, to me, what work-life balance is all about. That, that is what it's about. So I wish everyone best of luck with that and to kind of investigate what does this mean and what am I willing to do and set up a schedule where there is a holy time for the children. Yeah, extremely challenging. So appreciate your, your insights on this. As we get here to the end, I wanted to also ask you about the one last piece that you wrote that I thought was very interesting in your article. I'm just going to read it here. Uh, we've been told to follow rules we didn't create and live in a world of constant noise. Uh, all that has a dormant effect on our own thinking capacity. We don't get time to think, and a coach unlocks thinking nicely. Anything you want to add to that? I think that's a great paragraph, but I think it also evokes a lot of what you're trying to do with Koshendo. 
Yeah, thank you. I think it goes back to what we discussed about developing talent and about differences. At early age and up until adulthood, we expect people to think, behave and act in the same way. If you look at organizations, for example, today we have like the learning departments, learning and development, and most of their processes are standardized. Uh, but if you look at how we're wired, we are born with different personalities, we're born with different skills. Yet all of these learnings already from school and into our careers, they are standardized programs. And that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I have two children, as, as we talked just now, my daughter, when she experiences something, she wants to come forward and talk about it immediately. My son wants to take a step back. He wants to think about it. And he's just three. And that's how he acts. And then he comes and he kind of calls his argument and his thoughts ahead. So we have been different all along, but we have everything standardized and that doesn't make any sense. So I want to say that during the time where we were recruiting, one of the great people we talked to said something to me that I want to share with you. And he said, Vala, did you know that the average age of engineers at NASA was 28 in 1969 and is around 60 now? And that's not because our generation is less equipped, but because we are capped by self-limiting beliefs, by political gaming in the workplace, in school, and all around us. So coaching unlocks that, and Coachendo is doing the thing I want to do. And it goes back to how a coach can do that. You know that coaching comes from Socrates, that you know that it brings about a moment of elimination. You bring forward your powers and your skill sets, and we start accepting people that are different to us. And as I wrote in that article, I came to find that we are all different. It's just that fact that we don't get to live it, express it, or see it because we are putting everyone in boxes, and that's just wrong to do. That's why I meant with that uh, paragraph. I love one-on-one -on -one coaching for exactly the reasons you say, and I'm very excited about Coshendo because it's allowing more of that to happen. You know, while I want to thank you for your time, any important question I didn't ask that I should have, that you want to address here at the end? I think you had so many great questions, Michael, and I loved uh, the coaching that you gave me. I think it inspired me so much. I just want to add one more thing, which basically is when we launched Coachendo and we tested with people, we saw that they were requiring support from their employers to get the space, to get that support, to have time. And that's why we decided we're going to go immediately to companies and they are powering their talented employees through the coaching that we're offering. And we focus right now on remote workers because remote is even harder. It's even more difficult for you as a manager to see who is that top potential, who is that person that needs my support, who is the introvert that needs to get better kind of space and visibility, and how can I support that? So we are very passionate about this, and I'm very thankful that you gave me the time to talk about this. Thank you. You're welcome, and it's been a fantastic conversation. Just to ask on that point, so if someone out there is listening and they want to try Cochendo themselves, you cannot, as a consumer, just go test it. You have to kind of go through your employer and your employer has to be linked up with Coshendo or how does that work? You can absolutely test it. We're building it for ah. the people. So what happens is you contact us, you come into our beta testing group and you try and you are part of building the product with us. And hopefully at some point we're able to kind of scale it globally and make it possible for everyone to use it, whether through employers or outside of it. Well, knowing you and your team, the scaling globally is going to happen a lot faster than <laughs> we can blink an eye. But we don't want to blink the eye because our children will, you know, have grown up and will have missed their entire childhood. So make sure you 
like you said, and like I said, spend quality time with your kids. Walla, what's the best way for people to reach you or Coachendo or see your work? Go to our website. There's a contact us page. Actually, we rebuilt a new one. It's there. Best way to contact me on LinkedIn. I'm really receptive on LinkedIn. Email less so much because it gets flooded very quickly, as you know. But definitely do contact me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to hear thoughts, experiences, and exchange ideas because we are all on this together. Very exciting. And we will put those in the show notes. Thank you again, Walla. Fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Michael. A pleasure being here. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.